Psychologically tall. I'm talking about ethics. You you patented it, then packaged it, slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now sell it. You're gonna sell it. Well, same. <laughs> I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. They'll soon be back and in greater numbers. Any friend of Olive's is a friend of our daughter. I am really close on this one. Really, really close. Let's watch my favorite part again. Shall we? Hello, I'm Daniel. And I'm Amanda. And you're listening to Scenes from a Marriage, a movie podcast in which we, as a married couple, watch all of the Best Picture nominees for 2021. Every single one! And talk about them. Woo! Look, this is a very special episode in which we try to get this out under the wire because <laughs> the the Oscars are happening and you you may say to yourself, do the Oscars still exist? Not only do they still exist, but they are happening on Sunday, April 25th Ooh. on ABC. So it's it's been such a wild year and we have been working to try and do all of our homework and catch up on all the uh, Best Picture nominees. And you know what? It's funny that this is the first year that I've ever watched all of them. Is this the first time? This is literally the first time. Milestone. Yep. So it has been a good year. In that way. In that way. One of the <laughs> unique qualities of this past year is that so many of the movies that have been in the conversation are readily available on streaming platforms. Mm, mm-hmm. So people really, I mean, if this, if there was ever a year. That's true. This is the one. To be able to see you know, the lion's share of what's been nominated. If you had Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime, you were, you know, three quarters of the way there. So on, on some level for the, uh, the average uh, fan, this is good news. Although I wouldn't probably say that the, Best Picture field is necessarily more accessible than it ever has been. Mm. I don't know that it's necessarily populated by the kind of movies that anyone's really heard of. Even so, like a lot, I think if you were, if you were trawling streaming platforms as you're looking for something to watch, maybe you didn't come across more than one or two of these. I don't know. But so again, this is uh, this is out of our usual format. We're kind of just going off the cuff here because we really just wanted to get this out before the Oscar telecast. So what we're going to do tonight is just quickly talk through, uh, talk you through all of all eight of the Best Picture nominees <laughs> and uh, kind of give our reactions and our rankings and any other miscellaneous Oscar detritus will uh, fall here as well. <laughs> we'll come from Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that because in previous years, I actually have been pretty on top of the Oscars and the awards conversations. And I had hoped that I would be able to even share some independent research that I had conducted because I keep trying to predict best picture based on statistics. Mm. Every year since, I don't know, 2013, 2014, I've hosted an Oscar party and I've got people to come and I only just did it because I wanted 
to have, you know, I've always thought of the Oscars as kind of the movie's Super Bowl. One night a year, the world's f- focus is turned towards cinema uh, and, you know, for better or for worse. Uh, and so we always have a contest where we, we everybody submit a ballot. Who do you think is going to win? What category in the 24 categories? Whoever gets the most correct gets a prize. And so I think that's maybe has inspired some of our friends to dig into the preliminary awards a little bit or well, at least- it's helped me the past what two years or so because i had no idea like any of the best picture nominees so i mean because you know we are motivated by winning right. <laughs> some people are. <laughs> even if it's not the prize you want it's the glory right it's the glory but uh so i kept trying to do and i know there's people out there that that prognosticate 538 was doing it for a while gold derby always has their predictions and all of the different magazines that have film critics will often give you who they think is going to win based on everything. But I I wanted to get a statistical approach. And so I kept trying to find it. And I would, I would say, okay, here's the patterns in the past. Here's who's won this, this, and this as a precursor. Here's who's had these kind of nominations and et cetera, et cetera. And yet, despite knowing out of my friend group anyway, the most about (laughs) all these precursors, I have still managed to be wrong about best picture, probably more often than I've been right. Really? So when maybe was the it last just goes to show. Right? Uh, was it Green Book? Wait, was Green Book even? That was one of them. Green Book was one of them. Well, I, okay, I was right about Shape of Water. I, I had that one in the bag. Mm, didn't get that. I one think either. I missed Green Book. What was last year? Parasite? Parasite. Nice. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually... Like I said, I'm looking back at this list now, and I've been I've been wrong more often than I've been right. So maybe stats have nothing to do with it, and maybe the Oscars have a we personality all it. their own. We yes. just gotta just close our eyes and pick this year. That's right. But in case you <laughs> don't want to just close your eyes and pick, you can open your ears and pick, and uh, we're gonna walk <laughs> you through. So because we have, as of last last night, last night finished yeah. watching mm-hmm. <laughs> all of these. Um, so we're just going to go through and and talk about them real quick, and I'm going to use the the order that is on the Oscars.org site, and we're just going to going to go down the list. So your best picture nominees this year are the Father. I won't be able to come here every day. You need to understand that, Dad. Yeah. So you're leaving. When? I mean, my. I've met someone. You? Yes. You mean a man? Yes. Really? (laughs) You don't have to sound quite so surprised. No, no, it's just that, I mean... You have to admit that since, um... James? James. There hasn't been a lot of, um... What does he do, anyway? He lives in Paris. Oh. So I'm going to go and live there. Were you in Paris? You're not going to do that, are you, man? I mean, wake up, they don't even speak English. So The Father is a movie about a older man, an old man, uh, who is a father. And it's the story about <laughs> what? Who is a father. <laughs> who is what? He's the, he's the father. He's the titular father. <laughs> um, it's a story about just uh him dealing with uh dementia i think it's dementia and just the struggle uh 
of that and having to get rid of his apartment, living with his daughter, and just the struggle between, um, like, what decision she should make keeping her uh, or keeping him living with her or putting him in maybe an assisted living or nursing home. And it's it's kind of crazy because it it makes you feel like you have dementia and you are losing your mind and uh, switching the characters on you and lots of crazy stuff. But it, it's definitely an emotional one for me being close to that population. So I think it had an effect on me. Uh, it definitely did. And um, it was fun because one of my coworkers, Lauren, and her husband were in the theater when we watched it. And so... Yeah, that's right. It was good times. It was fun to watch that together and talk about it. One of our first theater outings, I feel like, uh, at least in recent days, that we went out and saw, just kind of, you know, on a whim, decided we were going to go and, and see this movie. Yeah, so this is directed by a guy named Florian Zeller based on his own stage play. And it stars Sir Anthony Hopkins, who is also nominated for Best Actor for his performance in the film. He did a great job. <laughs> he did a great job. Uh, it's a, I mean, it's the it's the kind of performance that gets you awards attention, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the whole movie is, is based around him. He is switching from very charming to mm. very kind of um kind of sassy and belligerent to very lost to yeah, frightened mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, exactly so he kind of runs the gamut and the supporting cast especially um especially recent best actress winner olivia coleman uh, have to support him, and they do good work, but really it's it's in the shadow of Hopkins. Whenever I hear that I'm watching or about to watch a movie that's based on a play, especially if it's directed by the playwright, I worry that what I'm going to see is something that is overly stagey, overly contained, really talky, and not very cinematic. The father defies those expectations. It is a movie that... Uh, rightly earned recognition for its editing and for its production design, both of which are really instrumental in, as you mentioned, Amanda, making you feel like you're going a little crazy mm-hmm. as you're watching it. Right. I was questioning myself the whole time. And when you said they switch the characters, one of the things you mean is that they change who the actor, which actors are playing right. sometimes the same character, or mm-hmm. sometimes it's not clear what day it is or what even i don't know the flow like the setting and they switch apartments because the apartments are so similar Mm -hmm. and i'm like wait are we details are different her apartment or his apartment but then he's also wondering is this my apartment or he's like this is my apartment and (laughs) you know i'm gonna keep it right and then you've got the the husband or boyfriend of the daughter (laughs) who is either a knight's tale just kidding. It's either Mark Gaddis or Rufus Sewell. Is that um, the one who who plays that actor in A Knight's Tale? Who is it? Yeah, yeah. I actually don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's S E W E L L is the name. And he, he yeah. always plays uh, those mean characters. He did. He did good at that. He's he's sassy. He is. Mm. 
So where The Father really won me over was in the way that it used a film vocabulary traditionally reserved for psychological thrillers Mm -hmm. and employed it in the service of creating an experiential empathy for this character and for his family. So I thought in that way it was it was entertaining in a way that I maybe didn't expect it to be, that it was more kind of um, bracing in terms of its film craft. And so I really think this is one that maybe people would not necessarily know about, or if they did hear about it, they might say, it kind of sounds boring because like the father is not a very interesting title for the movie. And you're not always in a place where like, wow, I want to go cry over, you know, the plight of the aging, but the movie's, more entertaining than all of that. And I think it definitely deserves to be seen by more people. Mm-hmm. I would say it definitely deserves its nomination. I agree. I enjoyed it. I honestly didn't know what to think when we went into the theater. I knew that it was about an old guy and that it was going to be kind of trippy, but I, I was pleasantly surprised by what we watched. And I felt like being able to work with, patients like that and be like wow they're they're spot on for a lot of things like that like that I see a lot of patients in that which is sad Mm. but I was like wow they did a good job they they did their homework and yeah I liked it moving on Judas and the Black Messiah I am proud to introduce Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party I don't need no mic. Can y'all hear me? Yeah! So what? You think the students over there are going to be free now? Oh, they let you change the name of your college or your own name. Throw on a dashiki. Because guess what? They still going to drag your black ass to Vietnam to shoot a poor rice farmer and get shot your damn self. Because the capitalist has one goal, and that is to exploit the people. He can have on a three-piece suit or a dashiki because political power doesn't flow from the sleeve of a dashiki. Political power flows from the barrel of a gun. This is one of the last ones that we uh, caught up with as well. This is a crime drama. It is set in the 60s and set right around the same time as another movie that we're going to be talking about, The Trial of Chicago 7. Mm-hmm. There's a number of period pieces on this list and that are about very specific stories in recent history that a lot of audiences probably are not going to have been aware of, or at least not in any kind of detail. This was one of them for me. The film stars Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton, the leader of the Black Panthers, and also Lakeith Stanfield as a, a car thief who is busted and recruited by the federal government to infiltrate the Panthers and basically be a mole on the inside and feed them information that would, you know, lead to disrupting their activities and to maybe the the capture of of some of these um, these persons. So it is really kind of about Stanfield's character and how conflicted he feels about being stuck in the situation where he may have to betray someone that he begins to admire. Amanda, what did you think of Judas and the Black Messiah? 
I enjoyed it. Again, I didn't know what to think about any of these movies because I hadn't heard any information on them prior. But I was <laughs> I was pretty anxious during the movie because yeah. I would have hated to be in his position because, uh, one, I am a really bad liar. So when he, <laughs> <laughs> when he was stuck in those situations where he had to play it off like he was on the Black Panther side, I was very anxious, but uh, it kept me kept me on the edge of my seat, and I really enjoyed this story, and it was very uh, heart wrenching because just seeing everything that they had to go through, and yeah, it was it was a good movie. It it kept me it kept me there for it, and man, it's just really sad. And then also hearing what he had to say at the end, and I'm like, man, did you not? Like, did you not even feel bad about, you know, your betrayal? I feel like he's just like, you know, trying to get by, but, you know. Yeah, it's worth noting, and I had forgot to mention that, mm-hmm. uh, that this is a true story that uh, of this, like, FBI informant. Mm-hmm. And so they have, the they show a clip of him at the end, like the only interview apparently that he ever gave. Uh, and, yeah, talking about the aftermath of what the choices that he made. I mean, it's a, it's a really good title to the movie because thinking about Judas and how he betrayed Jesus and then he killed himself afterwards and oops did I give away things <laughs> I mean well, I don't you know, know. It's, it's a the facts are out there for people to find so, um, you know you're giving away the uh, the white text at the end how many of these movies all end with the white text on the black background telling you what happened to the people after the story yeah but I yeah so I, I thought they that title was a good one for it too and this one is, you know, again, this is a story that I really didn't know anything about. Um, and I I really kind of found out about the movie in part because the, somebody had made a, a cinematography reel of the movies that were nominated for Best Cinematography. And I thought the one that was most interesting in the way that it looked and the way that it moved was this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's that's one of the strengths of the film. It kind of has this you know, this gritty feel it is period piece takes mm-hmm. place in Chicago. And this is a, I think a first, a first feature or maybe second feature from Shaka King, the director. Um, so he, he's somebody who's maybe still finding his rhythms in some way, but making, uh, I would say a, a pretty kinetic movie. Mm-hmm. I do like that there, well, there were at least two movies on the best picture nominee list that um, had, um, like events from the past and just like brought up that maybe a lot of people haven't heard about and it makes me want to do some more research and uh, read up about it. I mean, watching all of these movies, I'm like, ooh, let me see what's going on with that. But uh, I do appreciate like the trial of the Chicago 7, which of course we will talk about soon. We certainly will. But for now, let's move on. The next movie is Mank. I know you. Well, what's at stake here? We met at John Gilbert's birthday. You're Herman Mankiewicz. Guilty. And I remember you, Miss Davis, regaling us with stories about dodging trolley cars in Brooklyn. Your flatbush was showing. Oh. You fractured Wally Beery's wrist Indian wrestling. Admittedly a lucky break. Boy, was he surprised. You're stronger than you look. And from what I understand, you're smarter. That 
was a compliment. See what I mean? <laughs> you are interesting. I need a favor, but you're going to have to promise you won't laugh. Well, given the state of the world, a tall order. You're going to. I just know you are. I have got such a hangover right now. There's just a fighting chance I won't. I'm being burned at the stake, and I am dying for a ciggy boo. <laughs> <laughs> there. God's punishing you. And this is, this may be the one that I knew the most about leading up to because it's a Netflix release and it has a famous auteur director at the helm, which is, of course, is David Fincher. Mank is the story of Herman Mankiewicz? Yeah, Herman. Mm -hmm. Mank is the story of Herman Mankiewicz, the writer who uh, in the movie is working on Citizen Kane, one of the, obviously, um, generally considered one of the greatest movies of all time for Orson Welles. The movie is shot in black and white and it tends to evoke the period that it's that it's set in and that Kane is set in the 1940s, both in its visuals and in the way that its sound design is constructed. It also apes Kane in the way that it uses a nonlinear narrative. It is full of flashbacks, which is another homage to Citizen Kane as uh, Wells's film was one of the movies that really popularized that technique. It wasn't maybe known to be done that often uh, before that. The script is written by David Fincher's father and concerns the idea that Mankiewicz was really the, the author behind the script. And this was a... This was something that was um, an idea that was also kind of popularized by film critic Pauline Kael in her essay, Raising Cain, now considered by a lot of people to be outdated journalism. So I think uh, kind of the film community in a lot of ways and like the scholarship has moved past that to say, no, really, we were all right to begin with that Wells, the Wonderkind was the, you know, really the the author in, in, in most ways of Citizen Kane. But the movie is not just about that. It is about... Uh, Gary Oldman plays Mank, and he is never short for a witticism. He, you know, as this writer, he's just like constantly doling out kind of like pithy wisdom and using uh, using his remarks to like distance himself uh, from others. And so the movie goes through that. It also has him rubbing elbows with a lot of famous studio people and other writers and actors. William Randolph Hearst, who was famously um, like obliquely the subject of Citizen Kane is in the movie. His wife is played by Amanda Seyfried. Mm, um, so what is it? Oh, sorry. Amanda Seyfried. Is it Seyfried? I thought it was. I thought it was Seyfried. I don't know. Sorry. You're probably right. Um, and so this is a movie that is probably going to be pretty, it's very dense and it's got a lot of historical detail in it. And it may be kind of impenetrable to anyone who is not familiar, not only with Citizen Kane, but with that period in film. Amanda, how did you find it as someone who has not seen Citizen Kane? Honestly, I didn't really enjoy it that much. I thought it was kind of boring. And I mean, there were a lot of details that I had no idea. I, I didn't know what was going on. So it was a little bit hard to follow for someone who hasn't seen Citizen Kane. Maybe even for somebody who had. I don't know. I obviously can't speculate on that. But I liked 
Well, I like the Amanda Seyfried was one of the actresses and also Lily Collins. That's right. Lily Collins is in it, yeah. So, I mean, I enjoyed them being in it, but the story was okay. It, it was just, it was kind of fast paced with all the movie information, drama, whatever. And I wasn't really into it. I don't mind black and white movies, but it didn't really hold my attention that well because it was black and white and it was hard for me to keep up with the characters and there weren't too many distinguishing factors between them. Or maybe I just wasn't really paying attention that well. But yeah, not not one of my favorites. Did not fall asleep, but um, yeah. I wish that I would have seen Citizen Kane before. Hand. But I tried to do a little bit of research before, but that didn't really help a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, you know, in fairness, it's not just Citizen Kane that they're referencing, but also a lot of other things that were happening at the time. Mm-hmm. The whole bit with Upton Sinclair and his run for governor of California, which they integrate into the story enough that you can understand what's happening without having to know the historical character. But afterwards, I wrote that the movie seems to want me to care whether or not this guy wins the governor of California. And I just could not care. About <laughs> I was it. like, could, did you care? Okay. No. No. Even though I know Mank cared and I should probably have cared because he did. Only because he was a betting man. Because he was a betting man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it was interesting in terms of the way that it kind of collates a lot of this stuff from the the period. But I don't know, even though I've, tried to watch a number of luminaries from like 1940s and 50s movies. I don't know that I was steeped in it enough to really feel at home in that. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of disappointment for me because I always look forward to a new Fincher. Mm-hmm. I would say this is probably my least favorite of his films outside of like Alien 3. And I think a lot of people have felt that way. I think there's kind of a, I think the general reception has been kind of cool on Mank. And I think it's going to, if it wins anything, it's going to be technical categories. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's my Understandable. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Our next movie is Minari. David, look. They're wheels. Wheels? Where are they? What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right. Yes. I don't like grandma. Grandma smells like Korea. Yeah. Minari. All right. So Minari is a movie that we watched last night uh, about a Korean, Korean American family that moved to Arkansas, a large farm in Arkansas, uh, so that the mother and father (laughs) could work as chicken sexers. That's right. Is that what it's called? Looking they at the chicken butt. They were sexing those chickens. They were sexing those chickens. Which means? They were determining whether they were male or female, and the males would be burned, right? I don't know. Wow. He, he, the word, <laughs> uh, the, the <laughs> word he used was discarded. Discarded, right, right. 
Anyway, so this family moves out to the farm from California, I believe. And it's a husband and wife and two kids, a little boy and a girl. And the little boy has a heart condition. So the majority of the movie, they are telling David not to run. <laughs> That's right. Um, but they it's basically them just getting through life on the farm. Uh, some tension between the husband and wife. Father having a dream, wanting to um, have a farm with Korean vegetables, and uh, the wife wanting the husband to care more about the family, and just the struggle between the two of them. And I really enjoyed it. I, I just love uh, like character development and feeling like I know what's going on in the family and um, like building a connection with them and it was funny watching the little boy. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect any humor in it. I mean, I didn't really know what to expect from Minari, but loved the grandma in it. Super cute and silly. And yeah, I I liked the From now on all our Asian American movies are going to have the grandma character. <laughs> I love Asian grandmas. Like the farewell. Like the farewell. Oh, so cute. I just love old people. Anyway, um, yeah, it was, I, I like the moral of the story, just, you know, them working through life and it was just real and it was a really beautiful movie too. So what do you think? Yeah. And you say it's just real. And I, I, I believe it is at least semi-autobiographical that someone, you know, was based on their own experiences. Mm-hmm. You're right that it's it's a beautiful movie. Uh, it is much funnier than it looks like it's going to be. Mm. The best material is concerning <laughs> the boy David and the grandmother. His pee pants. Oh, sorry. And how he initially does not like her. And mm. then she, her kind of quest to win him over and win yeah. his favor. It was really sweet. There's a lot of fun little texture stuff in there. It's set in the 80s in the Reagan era and... There uh, in Arkansas, uh, as you mentioned, and there are some little touches that make it feel pretty familiar. One thing I noticed, as I mentioned, was the character who says "hep" instead of "help," mm -hmm. which, um, at least in Kentucky, is the way that they, uh, they might say that um, that particular word. And then also during the the scene where they visit this small church in a neighboring town, <laughs> mm -hmm. and. Uh, there's a Michael W. Smith song, Friends, actually, oh, yeah. playing on the soundtrack. I was like, this this is a little bit too close to home. I don't know if I like this. <laughs> so there, there were some fun touches. I don't know what is happening with the character of Will Patton that he's playing this maybe like, Weird. I don't know if he's just Pentecostal or mm -hmm. he's kind of like, I mean, he's a vet. So, you know, maybe he's yeah. got a couple of screws loose. Mm -hmm. He seems like several. Mm -hmm. But even though he's strange the movie doesn't like ever condemn him mm -hmm. uh, and, and he's you know he's just a good worker and he helps out the family and everything still but i wanted to know what his story was but they never got around to wanted to know what it. his deal was yeah so uh a solid for this kind of movie i will say it didn't knock my socks off mm. um and maybe it's not the kind of movie that tries to do that it's not really its goal yeah uh but it is yeah it, it's solid i don't know that among a pool of like Sundance style indies, I would necessarily say this is like oh, in a in a in a in a better year. I probably wouldn't say this is one of the best movies of the year. Mm -hmm. This year, I'm fine that it's here. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. And moving on, we have Nomad Land. I'm going to be 75 this year. And I think I've lived a pretty good life. I've seen some really neat things, kayaking, all those places. And, you know, like, like moose in the wild, a moose family on a river in Idaho and, um, big white pelicans landing just six feet over my kayak on a lake in Colorado or, um, um, come around a bend was a cliff and find hundreds and hundreds of swallow nests on the on the wall of the cliff and the swallows fall, flying all around and reflecting in the water so it looks like I'm flying with the swallows and they're under me and over me and all around me and the little babies are hatching out and eggshells are falling out of the nest landing on the water and floating on the water these little white shells it's like it was just so awesome I felt like I'd, I'd done enough my life was complete if I died right right then that moment be perfectly fine. This is maybe the one most people have heard about. I don't know. Uh, I feel like it's been getting the most awards buzz for the longest amount of time. Mm -hmm. And because I have not been following the race as closely as in prior years, I don't know if it's still considered the front runner, but I know that for quite a long time, it's been considered the the best bet to win best picture. Uh, the, the film is directed by... Chloe Zhao, who made The Writer a couple of years ago and stars Frances McDormand among a cast of largely non-professional actors. Uh, she plays Fern, a houseless woman mm. who lives in a van and travels around in mostly in the desert. What was her van's name? Pearl? The, was it, was it Pearl? I don't know. Am I making that up? Uh, I don't remember. I can't remember. Anyway, curious. She works for Amazon. She does other different like little gigs and she runs afoul of quite a lot of other nomads that tell pieces of their stories and why it is that they either actively rejected society or feel that society has rejected them. And so it's, it's a weird kind of mix. Like I would call it a docudrama that it's almost like part documentary and part fiction film mm. where because the character is played by McDormand and Strathairn, the the guy that she has a kind of a relationship with uh you know they're actors and this is this is um but it, so the movie has kind of a muted sadness to it it's kind of you know um episodic and they they do a lot of this like kind of piano music and there's a lot of shots of Francis McDormand reacting to things so yeah, you could probably you could say this is you know a compassionate expose of the real Americans and the the plight of people under capitalism or something like that. Uh, Amanda, what did you think of Nomadland? It was eh, it was all right. I it was interesting, but it it didn't wow me. Um, I think because it was just kind of aimless, <laughs> like what she was doing in life. And it frustrated me that she didn't want to just live in a home when it was offered. And I, I just couldn't understand why somebody wouldn't want to accept help. And so it was hard for me to connect with that. But it was interesting to see all the places that she went. I mean, it, it was pretty wherever she was in the desert. Um, or certain parts, but then, of course, there was a lot that was just like, 
open land. And I was like, why would you want to live out here? But yeah, it was interesting, but I didn't quite enjoy it. Do you think that the movie didn't provide you with insight enough to understand why its characters might have, in some cases, chosen what they did? I guess maybe it was understandable from her past, like losing her husband and everything, but I think I wanted to know more about her past. I wanted I, wa- I wanted them to dig a little bit deeper into some of the relationships instead of just surface level and then moving on. So I didn't feel like I could connect with the characters as much, which is what I love to do in movies is try to connect with the characters. And you did say you were glad that she didn't adopt the dog. Yes, I was glad. <laughs> it was kind of funny because in every movie, or basically every movie, whenever there's a dog that's left out in the cold or there's, you know, oh, they're going to get rid of this dog, then the character almost always takes the dog with them. But she did not. She just waved and walked away. And I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, dog lovers. <laughs> it's kind of silly, but. Yeah, I was I was largely unmoved by this and the what I thought was a kind of a clunky attempt to mix reality and artificiality. Uh I really just wanted it to be a documentary. Mm, I wanted yeah, to know like about the you know the guy who was the head of this yeah, like, of like, the, like ring of, you know, some kind of support Bob group almost for yeah. for nomads and you know the, the way they did all those things and the the one girl or the one lady that, you know, was she was going to go out to Alaska and live out her last days. Yeah. And, and everybody would throw a rock to remember her a rock in the fire. And I was like, why are they throwing rocks in the fire? Yeah. So I feel like to the extent that those were real things and real people, I was interested in that because there's a there's a tether there to to the life that we all live. There's a common humanity there. I think that's interesting. I don't think that the movie needed all the reaction shots of McDormand <laughs> oh, yeah. like processing these things that mm-hmm. they're told as if we, the audience can't process it on our own. We need to, we need to filter it through this actor doing it. Yeah. It felt kind of awkward. And I, I wasn't that, I wasn't that moved by the cinematography mm-hmm. either, or again, the sappy piano music. I, you know, to it, basically this it's not terrible. I wouldn't say it was a bad movie, but the overall style of it is just not my jam at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that style actively kept me from really engaging with some of the personalities on screen. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm a little bit befuddled at the consensus of praise around this one. I've heard plenty of alternate takes like on Letterboxd. There's a lot of people that are taking this down, but... How could this be the one that could win? Because you're saying that you think people are talking about this one being the one that could win, right? Absolutely. It has been considered the for, the front runner for quite some time. I don't get it. But I, of course, I don't understand how they pick movies because it's not about the movie that's the most enjoyable. It's about so many other factors. And we always say the Oscars are political, which they are. <sighs> and But the, I don't know, the, and the movies are also political this year as well. Mm, yeah. Speaking of which, our next movie, Promising Young Woman. Daisy. That's me. Dean Walker. Please sit. My assistant says that you are interested in resuming med school. That's right. 
May I ask what prompted your desire to get back to your studies? I guess I couldn't stop thinking about my time here. Yeah, that's an extraordinary place. It's an unusual request. Yes, but I left under unusual circumstances. Oh. I left because of what happened to Nina. Hmm. Nina Fisher. You don't remember her? Maybe you remember Alexander Monroe? Oh, yes, Alexander Monroe. He actually just came back and gave a talk here. Oh, he's a, he's a really nice guy, really smart. Are you a friend of his? No. So you don't remember the accusations made against Al Monroe? I don't. He took a girl, Nina Fisher, the one you don't remember, back to his room where he had sex with her repeatedly and in front of his friends while she was too drunk to have any idea what was going on. She was covered in bruises the next day. Handprints, I guess you could say. Was it reported? Yes. Do you know who Nina spoke to? You. Oh, is that political? Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Promising Young Woman is about a girl named Cassie who was going to med school. And one of her close friends was sexually assaulted. And basically, this movie is just a vendetta for her, uh, like, going after the man that uh, assaulted her friend. Uh, But it's very colorful, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, But she poses as a drunk woman in clubs or bars and uh, hopes to pick up men who want to take her home so that she can teach them a lesson. Uh, but she doesn't do anything physical. No, she doesn't. Like, I thought that maybe she... Well, she doesn't try to knife anybody. Is what you're yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> she doesn't. And she doesn't, yeah, do any... She doesn't let them do anything either. But, uh, so it's... She's very clever. She's... I think she's about 30 years old, which it was surprising um, <laughs> when they said it was her birthday. And I was like, I'm almost 30. But... She seemed... You have such promise. I'm so promising. I'm such a young woman that makes promises. And she... (laughs) She... They have her dressed in these clothes that just make her... It just makes her feel like she's a a little woman or she's just a little young girl. And she's always chewing bubble gum. And there's just bright colors. And I really liked all the bright colors. I feel like I'm very... (laughs) <laughs> surface with the movies that uh, I like. I'm like bright colors and music and laughter. So but you're saying it's a Harley Quinn movie. It is. Wait, was she Harley Quinn? No, she wasn't. She wasn't Harley Quinn. <laughs> no, <but> there's, a, <laughs> there's like some similarities. <laughs> I could see that. Um, but anyway, I enjoyed the intensity of it and I was I was like sitting on the edge of my seat and I was enjoying everything about it and the twist at the end. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, it's a pretty solid thriller. And maybe it helped that we saw it in the theater. I mm. think sometimes things get a little bit of a bump when you see them on the big screen. Mm-hmm. But oh, and maybe it's just the fact that, again, I feel like I hadn't seen that many really interesting movies this year. But this was at least something that had uh, a lot of verve. It had you know, an idea that it was going for, and it was really kind of uncompromising in that. And 
I mean, I thought I thought Carrie Mulligan was good. I really liked Bo Burnham's performance mm-hmm. and kind of the way that they played with our sympathies. That's one thing that happens a lot in the movie is that you, you know, are wondering and hoping about people. There's kind of this, uh, it's almost, uh, I have this thing I like to say, a moral thriller. Mm. A lot of these things are based on like, will will someone or won't someone cross a moral line? Will or will they not be, a, you know, this type of person? And there's a lot of kind of um, expectation that rises and falls based on uh, on that. So I think this is a movie that makes, it's going to make you squirm in your seat. It's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. And I think that's the point. Mm. I think as as a revenge thriller, it is certainly, it pulls its punches. like Because like you say, she doesn't really, like the revenge that she extracts on people is like kind of giving them a lecture. Like she kind of like mm-hmm. making them feel bad. I don't know if that, like, especially if, if you're the kind of person who's watched a lot of revenge thrillers, if you've, you know, it's not Kill Bill, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I think in that respect. I wanted were, her to murder people, but, you know, whatever. She didn't do it. So a lot of people are going to be maybe the, a little disappointed by that. that not the end, though. The end was very satisfying, even though it was unfortunate. Mm-hmm. That's probably a good enough thing to say about. But, but here's I mean, this is interesting mm-hmm. though because this is the kind of movie that does not usually get nominated for awards, mm-hmm. and I think if it wasn't directed by a woman, directed by an actress no less, and you know, felt contemporary to the concerns of our time, mm-hmm. and was also in a relatively weak year in terms of how many things oh. came out. <laughs> I don't know that we would have got this as a nominee but i think that it's a fun movie and it you know again in a certain way right mm-hmm. because it is a because it's like a thriller and not like a you know a, a topical it's topical but it's not a drama in the way that we call like oscar bait and so uh and i think that like you said uh, in terms of the colors it is directed with a kind of confidence and you know enough style that it rises above you know your average uh, your average genre piece. Yeah. And I I feel like I remember enjoying the music. It was probably poppy. So that makes sense for me. I remember on the trailer for this one, they had a version of the Britney Spears Toxic. Oh, they? yeah. I don't that's know if that was right. actually in the film. I don't or not. think it was, but I wouldn't have hated it if it was. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Allison Breeze in it. <gasps> she is. Oh, I did love that. That's right. Oh, so good. Love her. All right, we're getting down to the last couple uh, in the Best Picture field, and the next one is Sound of Metal. Your hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play tomorrow. Let's see what it's like, okay? I'm going to be like a click track. You can play to me. You understand me? I can't. I'm deaf. I'm deaf. I found a place. I think it's important that you stay here with us right now, Ruben. We're looking for a solution to to this. Not this. I need you to wait for me. 
Okay, you're in for me. You're my part. You're in for me. Okay, you got away from me. Sound of Metal. This was a good one. Um, Sound of Metal is about a drummer who was in a heavy metal band? Question mark. What? Yeah, well. <laughs> What's the question mark? Well, I, that's what I've been saying about this is that there's two things wrong with the title. And the second one is that there's no it. metal in the movie. There's no pieces of metal there's in no it. There's no metal music. I know, I know. What I don't was know that? What, I don't know what they're playing. What was Some that kind music? Of experimental. Loud yeah, crap. Like noise rock or something. Sound of loud crap is what it should be called. Just kidding. But the sound of tinnitus. <laughs> that's the new title. Uh, so it's about a drummer who is losing his hearing and he must learn how to uh, sign to communicate and his girlfriend is encouraging him to uh, be a part of this uh, deaf community and the thing about it is he wants to fix his hearing problem and the deaf community embraces uh, signing and living a life uh, without feeling like they have a handicap, which I thought was really cool. And it was just a picture of people in that community living their life to the fullest. And he, and he's an addict. Um, I think, I don't remember what drug but he was an addict, so it was difficult. And actually, the the home or the community, it was deaf addicts, I believe. Mm. Right? And so it's the story about him make, trying to make that decision of what's best for him. And um, <laughs> I always feel like, oh, am I just going to tell the whole, the whole movie and give it away? But I want people to be able to watch it. The ending is so good. I really liked it. But also just the relationship between him and his girlfriend and seeing the growth in both of their lives and just seeing that, you know, the two of them being together might not have been the best thing. And mm-hmm. it, it was just really neat to see, to to be a part of just like witnessing the growth. And also this movie made you feel like you were in the shoes of the main character and that you were losing your hearing. And I like how they had the muffled sounds. Um, and it's like you were losing your hearing with him. And um, kind of just like the father in a different way. Yeah, that sense. But um, yeah, what do you think about it? I I wanted more from this. You wanted more. I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't get on board with this one. Mm-hmm. And... Not that it doesn't have its merits, because it does. Mm-hmm. I think Riz Ahmed's performance is really good, and I'd like to see him win, actually, for it. Mm-hmm. I think because uh, he's nominated for Best Actor. I don't think he's going to win. Oh, man. Only because Chadwick Boseman's going to win, because he's dead. Sorry, everybody. <gasps> oh, but wait. What was he in? This is going to be the next uh, posthumous award. It's the next Heath Ledger. This is... This is it. What was he in? Am I a crazy person? No. Uh, he was in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Oh, he wasn't in one of the... Okay. I, I'm thinking that... Oh, it's only one of the uh, eight Best Picture nominees, but duh, Amanda. Okay. But Ahmed's performance is good, and as is uh, Paul Racy as the uh, the head of this deaf, like, 
rehabilitation clinic or whatever he's mm-hmm. running there. Uh, and oh, and uh, Olivia Cook mm-hmm. from Ready Player One, oh. and from um, did you? Oh, you watched that with me. The um, yeah, Thoroughbreds. Uh, Olivia Cook. So I, I like the cast. I think, and we talked about this on the last episode. That because this is one of the earliest ones that we watched. This is one of the first best picture. We I don't think we even knew it was going to be nominated, but when we watched, yeah, it no, we didn't from, know. on mm-hmm. Amazon. You can watch this on Amazon Prime if you're looking for it. 2020 was a year where I really was gravitating towards more like escapist entertainment. I don't know if I was ready for something quite this heavy. Mm. <laughs> Pun intended. Heavy metal. Sorry. Yeah, and the you know, and the idea of like him being a metal drummer, but you really don't get any of that kind of like life like most of it's him like getting up early and writing in a journal and he teaches the kids how to drum okay there's, there's, there were some good scenes with him doing that i kind of mm-hmm. like the part where he's drumming on the slide so yeah. that he can hear yeah on the slide i don't know i kind of had trouble giving my attention on maybe this it's one. because you're musical and you have a an insight into that well the, i mean as a musician this should be my greatest fear yeah, that, you know, I would Wear suddenly your lose my, my hearing loss and not be able to. What? What did you say? I'm <laughs> play <kidding. laughs> music anymore. Also, I think it's pretty suspicious about the way that the this particular part of the deaf community is and saying, "Oh, we want to act like we don't have a handicap or like this. We're not. Uh, you know, we don't think that being deaf is a you know is a deprivation or whatever it might be. Um, clearly wrong." In my view, <laughs> because obviously, like, like he, set, our, our hearing is one of the the primary senses that we um, that we use. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's great that like these supportive communities exist and that sign language exists, and that we can find other ways to communicate. And I agree with you; the ending is great, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't want to spoil that for anyone. Um, Wonderful. So, if this is your kind, if you think this is your kind of thing, then you'll probably really like it. And most people have liked it more than I have. I liked it more than you have. So, yeah. again, not saying it's a poor movie, just saying I right. was maybe not in the place to really engage with it as much as I might have. All right. And the final movie on our best picture list is The Trial of the Chicago Seven. I, Bobby G. Seale, have a motion pro se to defend myself. I'd like to invoke the precedent of Adams versus U.S. X. Rel. McCann, where the Supreme Court... All right, that's enough. Where are you learning these things? Does your young friend, Mr. Hampton, have a background in law? Your Honor, the other defendants would like to join in Mr. Seale's motion. Are you now speaking on behalf of Mr. Seale? No, Your Honor, I'm speaking on behalf of the other defendants. You're standing right next to him. Why don't you just represent him? Because I'm not his lawyer. Sir, if I understand Mr. Seal this last month and a half, and I believe I have, he is not represented by counsel. Overruled. I am being denied Mr. right now Seale. my constitutional Will you be right for Will legal you? representation. Will you be quiet? You have lawyers to speak for you. No, he doesn't. As I mentioned, the other movie that takes place around the same time as Judas and the Black Messiah, this is the retelling of a another event in recent American history that I was not aware of. This is written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, who is known for, you know, of course, such things as A Few Good Men and The Newsroom. Also, Molly's Game, Moneyball, Steve Jobs. So he's done a, he's done a bunch, known as a writer, and this is a writer's movie and not a 
director's movie. So this is, again, the story of a, of a real trial where like these seven or eight people were tried at once, even though they weren't necessarily even part of the same like, group. And there's a really belligerent judge played by um, by uh, Frank Langella, who apparently was even worse in real life as you start reading about some of these things. that It's just kind of crazy. If you know Aaron Sorkin's other works, then you kind of know what to expect. There's a lot of fast talking and a lot of really like pithy comebacks and people just talk a lot, but it's <laughs> really fun. Uh, and the ensemble cast is full of people like Sasha Baron Cohen and especially Mark Rylance, who is really great as the defense attorney. Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays the prosecutor. Um, this is one of those movies that I saw it on Netflix. I knew it was getting attention and I just, again, it being like a historical drama, I was like, do I really want to get into this? It's over two hours long. And mm-hmm. I pushed play on it. And after 10 minutes, I was hooked. Yeah, it was really good. I felt the same way when, even when you talked about it or when I was seeing it on the Netflix screen, I was like, uh, it's a movie like about, or they're going to be on trial, blah, blah. Like that looks like it could be boring, but no, it was, it was a good one. It got you good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's rousing and it is interesting to begin to learn about something that mm-hmm. you, again, were not aware that it happened. Some of the people might, I think, are still alive. Maybe the guy who's the one who's played by Eddie Redmayne. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like became like a senator or something. Yeah, that was cool. Watching all the information on the, what do you say, the, the white letters on the screen or whatever. Mm-hmm. Should be a dead meme by now. So many of these movies have done that. Mm. But yeah, uh, this is probably, I mean, it may be actually the most fun of all of the movies on this list and maybe the most crowd pleasing. Again, this this actually might have been the first one of all of these that I watched. And after the kind of trough of movies that had occurred, I was like, oh, it's about time I saw a movie of this caliber mm. in 2020. And uh, yeah, I think it uh, it played really well. Yeah, I enjoyed the cast and just the story behind it and getting to see the trial and like what, what they were doing in between. Because, you know, you see movies where everybody's on trial, but I guess I haven't really seen many where they talk about things behind the scene a lot or they they give more information uh, about other events going on. I don't know. I, I just felt well informed and it was a lot of fun. And who are the two guys? They were always goofing off. That was, that was, that was entertaining. Well, the one Abby Hoffman played yeah, by yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen, who was mm-hmm. always kind of, you know, had a, had a smart remark. Yeah. And I, I liked that, that we watched this movie and then, later on watched Judas and the Black Messiah and then we are able to uh, connect the Bobby Seal to uh, the other movie anyway. Yeah, because they mentioned Bobby Seal in Judas and the Black Messiah and they yeah. show a picture of him being tied up in the courtroom. Yeah. Which really happened. Yeah, which and it was even worse than in the movie apparently. Crazy. Also, and I didn't realize crazy. this at the time because I didn't know who he was because I hadn't seen Judas yet. Mm-hmm. Fred Hampton was in... Charles Chicago Seven. Yeah, and they talked about they talked about him getting shot uh, in the movie too. Do you remember that? 
No, I didn't remember that. They they said, yeah, they they shot uh, Fred and whatever. That it was, it was during. I can't remember which part of the trial, but they talked about it. So mm-hmm. there's lots of little connectors there. So that's because that one's so easy to see on Netflix. That's a that's a big recommend. Yeah, definitely watch that one. I haven't tracked any of these down yet. Mm-hmm. So that's our list. That's that's the, the wow, eight a movies lot. that are up for best picture this year. So do we want to do we want to rank them? Yeah, it was so difficult, and even talking about them again, I'm like, uh. <laughs> I'm iffy about my ranking. That's your list. Yeah. Do you want I- me to go first? Um, or do you want to go first? You want to do? No, you I want to start from the bottom and do eight to to one, or yeah, you want to do that. And you know what? Whatever I put down, it's whatever. I'm doing it. I'm not going to be influenced. Well, then I'll let you go first. So that way, you won't, I won't influence you. All right, perfect. Okay, so eight is Mank. Uh, the next one is Nomad Land, Womp, um, Judas and the Black Messiah. Even though I enjoyed that one. But you got to put them somewhere. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, the Father, uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7. And then third is Promising Young Woman. Two is Sound of Metal. And number one was Minari for me. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just because we watched it recently or what, but I think it's for Minari and Sound of Metal. I liked that you could see where the characters started and then to see how they grew in the end. And I and you know that I love a good um, growth story. And also if there's more like characters that I can connect to, I really enjoy that. Well, that was one thing I was going to maybe ask about this list was if there were any Amanda movies versus uh, Dan movies. Would you say uh, Minari is an Amanda movie? I mean, yeah, well, hearing how you felt about it, for sure. Because I, I loved... I thought the little boy in it was hilarious. Like yeah, he was funny. If honestly, if he wasn't in it, if like that whole relationship between him and the grandma and all the funny things that they did, if that wasn't in it, I wouldn't have enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. It was just that it was hilarious. And even it, because I don't really have to have a movie wow me. I just I need it to be entertaining and to just hold me there, um, and be funny a little bit. Because there weren't really any funny movies. I mean, Trial of Chicago 7 had some funny scenes. There weren't any that I really like laughed out loud with. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, comedies aren't, don't typically get the best picture treatment, unfortunately. I will. And but it's interesting you say that about the, the wowing. I feel like a movie that's the best picture of the year ought to wow me. And... Uh, but I don't know that there are necessarily any in this list that did. Well, that's what I was saying. When when it's a year like 2020, there's like there's not there's just not possibly anyone that could. Yeah, like for this, when I look at this list, I think it's an okay list. Like I I don't necessarily think there it, it, bad choices were made. I think that like I don't really envision us talking about any of these movies in ten years. No. Nah. I don't see anything here that sends the test of time. No. Now, I may be wrong, but at least for me, like, there's nothing here that's that I'm super excited about. I probably wouldn't give any of these movies more than uh, more than four out of five stars. But agreed. Uh, my list. Okay. Um, so number eight is Nomadland. I found it kind of dull and disingenuous. Yeah. Uh, number seven is Mank, because a little disappointing on Mank. Um, number six, Sound of Metal 
for maybe a little bit of the same reason. <laughs> Number and everything above this, I would say I liked. Okay. Um, number five is Minari. I was uh, number four is the Father. Number three, Judas and the Black Messiah. Number two, Promising Young Woman, and number one, Trials of Chicago Seven. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that Promising Young Woman would be so high on your list. Yeah. Well, as we talked about, I thought it was uh, it was pretty fun. It mm-hmm. was a a good thriller that kind of captured you. Uh, that's, I mean, really, if any of these has the wow factor, it's probably Promising Young Woman. It is, yeah, it is that one. That was a, and actually, was that the first one we saw in theater after, like, COVID? Or no? I mean, it, well, other than Beetlejuice. <laughs> but, like, I mean, the first, like, new movie. It did feel like an, like a, there was something fresh about being able to go out and do that. I feel like that was the first new released movie. That we saw, and I, I think that made it even more fun. Yeah, so I had a couple of follow-up questions, and a couple of them I won't ask because I think we've kind of already covered what was most surprising and most disappointing. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that you thought should have been nominated but wasn't, either a movie or like an actor or a performance? Just anything you think was was left out? Ooh, I don't even know. That's a tough question. I feel like I can't think of any other movies. Because they're all like Netflix originals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't watch the caliber of movies that could be nominated. Well, I mean, at this point, what? <laughs> <laughs> I see for me, the, the one that stands out as missing a nod would be I'm thinking of ending things. I would like to see, at very least, Jesse Buckley get a nod for Best Actress mm-hmm. and maybe a screenplay for um, Charlie Kaufman. Mm. But. Yeah, I, I didn't like that movie as much. It was crazy. So we've been talking about this a little bit in bits and pieces. What do you? Which one of these do you think is the most twenty twenty movie? If it was the, if it's not the best movie, but the movie that best captures or you know speaks to the year that we had last year, what would it be? I mean, I want to say Judas and the Black Messiah just because of all the. Uh, the racial discrimination and everything that's gone on and just being able to uh, shed some light on that. And um, because there isn't any other ones that, well, that one, but (laughs) maybe Nomadland because we kind of just feel like we're aimlessly wandering (laughs) along. So maybe, (laughs) maybe those. Yeah. Like the most exciting thing in our life would be, Pooping in a bucket. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that is because, you know, it's been kind of a, it's been a rough year mm-hmm. in those ways. Just people realizing what's actually happening in the world and uh, feeling like, oh, I need to do something to make a difference. Like, I, I need to speak up. And then also just, <laughs> what is my purpose in life? What? When the world has shut down, um, like, what are we even doing? So, like, Nomadland. That's a, that's a good read. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. but uh, I literally just thought about it. So. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, definitely, definitely Judas seems like one of the ones for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I think, putting you inside the Black Panthers and having them kind of be the heroes of the story mm-hmm. seems unlike what 
maybe we would have got as protagonists in a prior year and really makes you sympathize with them when like they're having a shootout with the cops yeah and it's like okay it's almost like a bonnie and clyde situation like you're not really sure who the heroes are but because of the way the film's constructed you're siding with the black panthers Mm -hmm. and you don't want them to get turned over to you know by this mole yeah stinking mole but i think there's a there's a there's a argument to be made for trial of the chicago seven for the reason that Mm -hmm. we're basically all thinking right now about what it means to have justice done and is is the system capable of meeting out justice Mm. and what are the ways in which that is miscarried you know we're talking about you know um, people taking advantage of a situation uh, police acting in ways that they shouldn't act so there's a very real topical thing on the heels of the chauvin trial Mm -hmm. um you know so i think to say okay well this happened 40 years ago and you know is 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 still happening right that's yeah that's true that's a good one all right real quickly uh just let's just react to some of the other nominations. Okay. And I'm mostly going to, I won't go through all the categories, but at least the acting categories. Can I just get your read on, if you saw any of these, what would, uh, you know, is anything surprise you? And what would maybe, you want, would you want to pick? Uh, what would you hope would win? Am I going to be able to recognize any names that you say? You will, because you've seen a lot of these movies now. Oh, okay. So for example, actor in a leading role. Nominees are Riz Ahmed from Sound of Metal. Mm-hmm. Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins in The Father, Gary Oldman in Mank, and Stephen Yoon in Minari. Oh, I love him. Glenn from Walking Dead. <laughs> I forgot to say that earlier. Yeah. You said, who do I think should win? Well, I mean, you've seen four of the five movies. I mean, I think the dude from Sound of Metal, he did a really great job. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that would have been a hard role to play. So I think he did a good job. He convinced me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's real there's real pain in that role. Mm-hmm. And this is these are all these are all good choices. I think I'm with you. As I mentioned, I really liked his performance in that. Mm-hmm. I would probably go with Ahmed. Granted, I have not seen this particular Bozeman performance, so uh, I can't say I, I haven't seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yeah, I mean, um, I really think Anthony Hopkins gives a great performance in The Father. Oh, uh, yes. And in, in a another year, he would probably be my pick. But uh, I, I think I think I would go with Riz on this one. Mm-hmm. Actor in a supporting role. Actress, you said. Actor. Oh, sorry. Actor. In a supporting role. You've got Sasha Baron Cohen in The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Again, playing Abby Hoffman mm-hmm. in the movie. You've got Daniel Kaluuya in Judas and the Black Messiah, playing Fred Hampton. Mm. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr., One Night in Miami. I don't think we, either of us saw that. Mm-mm. Paul Racy in Sound of Metal, the sign language guy. Mm-hmm. And Lakeith Stanfield in Judas and the Black Messiah. So both Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield are nominated in the supporting category for Judas. Who Who is the... Who? Lakeith Stanfield was the one who was the mole. Ah, uh, good job, too. One thing I didn't mention in my little talk on this I, Lakeith Stanfield is probably one of my favorite up and coming actors. He's been in a lot of things recently. You probably remember him from Sorry to Bother You. 
Oh, and, yeah. Oh, uh, those who saw Get Out will remember him in a small role in Get Out. He's such a vulnerable actor. You can see so much going on in his eyes. He just like lets you in with the... Yes. And I don't know how he does it, but uh, it's really... It's, it's pretty incredible. And I think you know, him giving having kind of a villain role in that movie, nevertheless, made a very um, empathetic character out of that guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that he would probably be my pick. Well... And because of what you said, like, and how I was saying that I was very anxious for him, like, I wouldn't be able to play it off, you know, being a mole. I I would totally give it away. But, like, we, we know that he was a mole, but he wasn't able to give that away. And he just, he did a great job with being able to, uh, yeah, just communicate in many ways. Who was the first one that you said? Sasha Baron Cohen in The Trial of the Chicago 7. Okay. Yeah, no, I would still go with Lakeith. Yeah. I think a lot of people are saying that Kaluuya is favored to win this. I think he's good as Hampton. He did good, but... I I think if I had to choose between the two of them, I'd probably pick Stanfield. Wait, but who would have been the the lead actor in that movie? So this is a a weird thing where we have what we call category fraud. This happens quite a lot Mm -hmm. in the Academy Awards. I can't remember all the details about how people get slotted into one category or another. Usually the studio will choose who they want to, like which category they want to run somebody in. But sometimes it'll just get picked. And like if two people are kind of like co-leads, sometimes if neither one of them is like the lead, they'll both get slotted into perform, in, excuse me, into supporting, which is what happened here with huh. Clue and Lakeith Stanfield. I feel like Lakeith should have been lead actor. One of these award shows, thankfully it's not this one, one of them nominated one of them nominated Jesse Plemons, who's the plays the FBI agent as the lead, which is what? a ridiculous thing. And he was like, he was surprised to find out he was the lead in that movie. All right, so for actress in a leading role, you've got Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which we didn't see. Mm. Andre Day in the United States versus Billy Holiday, which I also didn't see. Mm. I don't see most of these. Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman, mm-hmm. Frances McDormand in Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman. Well, I'm just going to go with Carrie because yeah. obviously. Uh, between the two, I would go with her. <laughs> yeah, she was. She had way more going on than Fern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, her, she played like a fern. I'm kidding. Though, so. <laughs> <laughs> For actress in a supporting role, you've got Maria Bakalova in Borat's subsequent movie film. I haven't seen that. Glenn Close in Hillbilly Elegy. Olivia Coleman in The Father. Mm. Amanda. Seyfried. Seyfried in Mank. Mm. And uh, Ye Jung Yoon in Minari, who was the grandmother. Ah, oh, why you got to do that? I loved the grandma. But Olivia Coleman, you said? Mm-hmm. <sighs> I think I'm. I'm gonna have to say her. She did. She did a wonderful job. Wait, who? Which one? Olivia Coleman. Oh, in the father. Yeah. But I did love the grandma. She was funny. She was great. But the father that would have been a hard role to play. It's weird because I don't have the first clue who's winning this category. Mm. Seems like it's all over the place. I did catch up with Borat subsequent movie film. You watched it, and it's a pretty. It's a pretty nervy performance by this young actress, Maria Bakalova, and like matching Tacha Baron Cohen step for step. 
so I think there's a there's an argument to be made for her uh, in do she's pulling off something pretty difficult. Oh really? With that okay. Weirdly, my like my knee jerk choice is Amanda Seyfried mm-hmm. and or Seyfried. I can't <laughs> know why it looks Seyfried. like Seyfried to me. Um, I don't know. I think it's Seyfried. I, I do like her in that movie, but yeah, I don't know. That's that's a rough one. And she all right. I don't want to watch Hillbilly Elegy to find out Mm-mm. what Glenn Close is doing. You can you can keep that. Yeah. All right. Any more highlights? Um, I think we all know the animated film is going to go to Soul. Oh yes. It's not, I don't know. There's Onward is also nominated, but uh, oh, Onward! Wow, that was in 2020. I know, right? Weird. That's weird. That doesn't feel real. That feels like 50 years ago. It does. It's been 80 years. Yeah, I don't know if there'd be any point in going through the rest of these categories, but you all know where to look them up. So yeah, Oscar night. By the time this is released, it's probably like the next day. Oh no! So if you're listening to this, get your get your final predictions ready. I'm going to roll out the red carpet. I legit got it today, didn't I? You did. Red carpet showed up at our doorstep. Okay, next next year's party is going to slap. <laughs> <laughs> well, you hold on to that until next year, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm still rolling it out on Sunday. And then once the Oscars are finally over, we can start watching 2021 movies. Woo! Okay, Personally, I'll... I'm still gunning for... Godzilla versus Kong. That'll be one of the 2021 movies? Yeah, maybe that'll be the first movie I see in 2021. Interesting. Okay, I'm down. Let's go. All right, well, thanks for listening to our Oscar catch-up and our uh, just totally off-the-cuff episode. It's been fun. It has been fun, and now Amanda's going to go to sleep, and I'm going to stay up all night editing. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a plan to me. All right, let us know uh, if you have seen any of these movies or if you catch up with them afterwards. Let us know what you thought. and Follow us on our Instagram, Scenes from a Marriage. Scenes from a Marriage or like at Scenes from a Marriage. I'm sorry, at Scenes from a Marriage. You can also email us, mm-hmm. podcast at Scenes from a Marriage. Or slide into com. our DMs. Slide into those DMs. <laughs> Until then, the Oscar goes to you for listening. To me, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Good night.